Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Yeah, we'll count the joy come every battle. As long as we go with Jesus, as long as we go with Him, we can go anywhere and accomplish anything. Amen? And amen. You may be seated. Well, mothers, we want to honor you one more time. Thank you. Have one happy mother in the house. I'm privileged to have my mother here this morning. Thank you, Mama, for coming. You guys don't mind me calling her Mama, do you? I mean, do you guys call your mother Mother or Mama? Well, my mother might call me son. She might call me a lot of things. She called me by my entire name a lot as a kid, I'm supposing, because, well, I did what kids do. Get in trouble, I suppose. Well, guys, I want to welcome you here to New Life Christian Center here in Millbrook, Alabama. I say that. I know there are people on the Internet that are watching us this morning. I want to thank you guys for coming this morning. We've got a very interesting talk to talk about. I say that mostly because I'm going to be the one giving the talk. I hope it's interesting for you. Let's turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21. 2 Samuel, chapter 21. And while you guys are turning there, I'd like to thank pastors as always. Thank you for allowing me to speak and to to serve the people. It's always my privilege, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to do that. This morning, we're going to discuss or maybe even talk about a woman named Rizpah. One woman who was given one verse in the Bible. One verse, one sentence in one verse. For one incident in her life. A woman who loved despite the circumstances that she was was faced with. And for this one verse, this woman is considered by many to have shown the greatest love that was ever shown. Now, if that doesn't pique your curiosity, we're going to tell a story that that seems a little different. Maybe you've heard this story sometime in your life. Maybe you've read it at some point. But it's a very interesting story about Rizpah. And while we're, you guys are pushing the buttons and you're flipping the pages, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Since 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10. Are you all there? Let's read this. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the life of Rizpah. We thank You for speaking to us even from the seemingly obscure verses in Your Word. We know that this Word is You, Father, and that You speak to us from every verse. And we, we want to hear from You this morning, Father. I thank You for Your anointing. Use me to speak to Your people. Speak the words to every one of us that will not only change our lives, but help us to learn to honor our mothers. Honor those that are mothers over us as we should. And it's in Your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be, may be seated. We'll get started with a little bit of history, very little, because I want to get straight to the Word. 
The American incarnation of Mother's Day really started in 1908. It became a national holiday in 1914. And if you want to know more about it, you can go to Wikipedia and it will tell you a lot about this day. But where I want to go with this is I want to kind of sidestep it and go to the Christian precedent that works alongside of Mother's Day. Really, it was going on for centuries before Mother's Day was ever a holiday in, in our country. The clearest modern precedent for this is Mothering Sunday. It's on this day that the faithful people in a, in a city, well, faithful people everywhere, would return to their mother church or a church that's in the vicinity of their home if they couldn't get back to their home for a special service. There would be several scripture readings, but the gospel reading for the day would be John 6, 1 through 14. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I know you guys appreciate it when we talk about food at this time of day because we're this close to eating anyway. And I know you guys have special meals today to eat with your mothers and family. But they would have all of these different readings, and then they would honor everyone's mother, but the people that were mothers to them. Because it's so much more than just our natural mothers, which is the most important thing. But it's also important to recognize all of the mothers that are in the body of Christ who are mothers to us by virtue of their age and their experience. Jesus really puts this into perspective in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 48. He says, But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven is my mother. So that makes you, if you're older than I am, if you're doing the will of the Father, that makes you my mother, and I should honor you that way as well. Now you guys are looking at me like I'm strange. Have you guys ever heard this before? Have you, any of y'all ever heard this? Somebody raise a hand. Somebody please smile quickly. I've told you, the, the, more, you, the, the more you turn it up, the quicker it goes. Amen. Um, the Apostle Paul speaks to Timothy about how he should view and treat the individual members of the body of Christ, and I still believe that this is pertinent today. This is what he says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He tells us not to sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Basically, what Paul is telling Timothy is, is to love and to serve all the people that are in the body of Christ, in the community of believers, in that fellowship of believers. For those that are older than you, they are your fathers and mothers. If they're your age, they're your brothers and sisters. If they're that much younger than you, they're your nieces and nephews we're a family we're a, we're a family unit is what he's saying the body of Christ is is made up this way we're each a part of the body of Christ and we're expected to be there for each other what do you do when you're that person that's in the body and you don't have a mother your mother's gone on to glory she's in the presence of God doesn't it feel good to know that you have someone that you can go to that is a mother or a father to you now that, that feels good to me. My mom is still here. My father's gone on. And that's why there are men in this body and elsewhere that I look to because while my father is not here, I look to people in that same relationship. Although they're not Michael Terry Hill, my father, they're fathers to me. And I, I need that relationship. We never stop needing that relationship. I'm thankful for the, the godly mothers in my life. Let's get to the, the mothering section of this talk. 
let's talk about a few of the mothers. I thank God for my mother. When I was a kid, don't do that, Mom. Um, she would put quarters in the offering envelopes and send me to church. Then the quarters became dollars. I was the oldest, so I got everything I ever wanted in, in my eyes, and I whined and cried. Oh, my gosh, I was so horrible to get everything that I wanted. Kids don't do that nowadays, right? And I did all of that, and I always got it because I was the first kid. And I tell Will, he's the ninth kid. Man, you're lucky if you eat regular, man. I mean, the, the first kid, you get all the pictures, and it just goes down. And at nine, it's like, dude, I told you it's on the table. The bigger, stronger, older kids got it. You know, put a little butter on your finger and chew on that. You will be okay. Um, but I'm thankful for my mom because she was always giving to someone. Ten years after she left the church, she was giving cookies to everybody in the church, a whole plate of the best cookies that you've ever laid your eyes on. We're getting hungry now, John 6, right? It's in there. And ten years after she left the church, she was still taking cookies to the same people and hadn't talked to them since the year before. But that's my mom. She's always giving. And that's laudable, that's admirable, that's, that's honorable that you've taught us how to give. She's always serving her family. She's, she's always there. Jean is the most laid-back mom I know. Yes, you, Jean. We sat outside under the gazebo a couple weeks ago, and we, we went and sat with the horns. And my wife was there, and I was just watching. And I was watching my wife hang on the words that you were speaking. Nothing inherently spiritual. We were just talking about life and stories and things like that. And I was watching my wife hang on your words. And, and I was hanging on your words. And Bill's. We were, we were enjoying the stories because you guys are parents to us. And I thank you for what you do in this body of Christ. Um, I'm thankful for Sybil Culp. Oh, here it comes. You wrote it. She probably knows what I'm going to say. I popped off one day. They used to teach a marriage class, her and Harry Culp. I never got the benefit of the class, so if you don't like the way I am, there you go. It's their fault. Uh, they need to, to run the class again, guys. I've, I've been laying this down for 17 years, almost 18. Uh, I want the class. Um, but I popped off one day and said, I don't do dishes. This man does not do dishes. I'm way too male. I'm not doing that. I mow the grass. I work six and a half days a week. I mean, I'm really laying it on. Everybody's going, yeah, 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 yeah. I mow the grass. I do all these different things. I said, I don't do dishes. If it's left up to me, we'll have paper plates and paper cups. Now, if Rachel was here, she would say amen. She got that gene from me. We don't do the whole dish thing. So she gives me a note the next month. It says, and this is the original note. It says, no man was ever shot while doing the dishes. <laughs> she said, saw this in a magazine, and I thought of you. I went, well, I think she's trying to tell me that doing the dishes won't kill you, I, I think. Uh, we're going to leave that alone. I, I didn't, didn't show enough promise because her and Connie talk a lot. So sometime later, she pulled out the, the trump card, and she used scripture on me. And it is found in 2 Kings chapter 21 in verse 13. Yes, you put the address on there so I could study it and do all the, you know, the exegetical process there. And it says, And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. 
any of you guys fans of Hogan's Heroes at any point? I'll just say, uh, duly noted. We're good with that. That's as far as we're going to go with that. But she did, she was brave enough to respond to my maleness, and I'll never forget it, and who knows, I maybe do, uh, you know, you got to have faith, right? Um, let's pick on Pastor Marsh, it's fun enough. Um, I thank you for just being who you are. You, one thing about our Pastor Marsha, she's just like an open book. When she's standing there talking to you, it's like, woo-wee, you know. You, you don't, <laughs> woo-hoo. She, there, there's really, not saying you're not capable of thought, but she's just not thinking. She's talking, and you know what she's thinking because she's just so animated, and it's like, yeah. I mean, you just get so excited listening to this woman just speak and be who she is. But for years and years and years and years, I sat right here on this front row, the second row, and I watched this woman speak on the total counsel of God on Wednesday nights. She brought who she is to the pulpit, and she preached it, she teached it, <laughs> she taught it. <laughs> um, she, she, she did everything that she should do. And beings were in a laughing mood, I'll, I'll just say it, I think I've said it before. One night we were closing, and I was up there in the, the sound booth, and I was doing what sound booth people do. I wasn't paying attention, I had my eyes closed. And I was praying, and she was praying, and she said, God, we thank y'all. And I opened one eye. I said, did she just call God y'all? Well, this is the South, <laughs> and in as much as it is grammatically correct, I mean, it works. I went, well, I'm good. So I closed my eyes, and I went back to praying. I mean, what do you say when that happens? And every soul in the body was snickering, including Pastor Marsha, and when she regained her composure, never missed a beat, she finished, and off she went. You know, you hear the good stuff on Wednesday night. I mean, if you want to hear the whole council, you come on Wednesday, you'll, you'll get that. That's for sure. Uh, Elaine is not here, but I trust Elaine is going to be watching at some point. I want to say, Elaine, more than the conversations that we had after Bible school, I want to say thank you for going through the roughest imaginable time in your life and being an example for me and my wife, Connie. You taught me how to hang on to God in an unimaginable time. And Connie and I both feel like we have grown in our faith because of you and Cletus. And for that, I want to say we honor you this morning too. One last person. I want to honor my wife in as much as it is her birthday and she is so much older than I am now. In Proverbs chapter 31, now Elaine is laughing. Um, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 12. You don't have to go there, but you can if you like. I was reading this studying the other day, like what do you preach on Mother's Day? I've never done a Mother's Day. So I'm thinking, well, Proverbs 31, I mean, yes, a go-to, you can do that. It, it always works, I suppose. But I was reading these verses and I was impressed Upon these two verses, this is my wife. Not that I'm being tacky and can't come up with my own words. But I have to say them. So I'm going to say them like it's coming from me. And you can read it in Scripture. I have found an excellent wife. Your worth is far above jewels. 
my heart trusts in you. I will have no lack of gain. You do me good and not evil all the days of my life. Mothers are important. Mothers are special. All the ones who are not biological, even all the ones who are spiritual. My wife has, wow, so many kids. We have a busload, that's for sure. We've been there, done that. Not much you're going to surprise us with, that's for sure. But for me, there's one obvious trait of a mother that seems to be a common bond between them all. They're always thinking of someone else, always ready to help, always ready to be there, always ready to do what's necessary and right for those that they love. And sometimes for many of those that they, they may not care so much for, they have to use their faith to see where they could be. And we've discussed a few righteous mothers that are in the house this morning, and I couldn't talk about all of you, but I picked on those that were just slightly older than I am. But let's discuss a few that are, are in Scripture. What is the most radical example of a mother in the Bible? Proverbs 31, maybe. Uh, I will agree it's pretty hard to climb that mountain without the help of Holy Spirit, but many women live this godly example like it's no problem at all. But they didn't start there, they arrived there. They can live it because of the power of Holy Spirit and the determination that it takes to keep walking in the faith. It's a God-given strength that's, that's unique to mothers to be able to get up in the middle of the night and to get up all, and, and not sleep all night and to be so driven to help someone else out when I would just as soon stay in the bed and do like this and wake Connie up and let her handle it. They have this strength to do what needs to be done. How many of you mothers have ever had one of those days and felt like you failed your family, let your children down, could have done better at something, or could have done more of something for someone else? There's no way to be a perfect mom, but there's a million ways to be a good one. Day by day, living in faith will result in you becoming the righteous mother that you've always wanted to be, the things that you know need to change, and same way for guys also, but it's your day, women. You're getting all of it today. If you know where you should be and you're not there yet, you can be there, whatever that example of being a, a righteous woman walking in the totality of faith. It is something that you can achieve. It is there if we will trust God and His Holy Spirit. How about Sarah? Sarah leaves the comfort of an established home her family, the power, the, the prestige from being in government where they were living, to embark on a journey to a place that was to be revealed later. She didn't even know where she was going. And by the way, she was going to live in a tent the entire time she was going there. And to add on to that, she was told that basically at 90 years old, you're going to have another child, or you're going to have a child. Now how many of you women want to line up and get in that line? Oh yeah, me at 90 years old, you know. There's radical faith. A woman that says, yes, I will go and do this. The thought of it made her laugh. But she said in Genesis chapter 21, verse 6, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. The impossible was possible with her, and she could have a child at 90 years old, and everybody that laughed at her was going to come along beside her and laugh with her, because now she's walking in an impossible faith that has been made possible because of God. 
And she was included in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, 11. Samson's mother was also barren. No doubt she longed to have a child too. And one day she meets God face to face. Samson's mother does. Meets him face to face with her husband. He freaks out and says, we're going to die because God has shown himself to us and told us these things. And she says, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Here's a woman that was able to grab the handle of what's going on and to run with this. And she believed God and was not afraid. She believed a woman who was incapable of having a child physically had a child because of the uh, Holy Spirit. And her son became a future judge in Israel. He's remembered in the hall of faith also, yet his mother's name is not even recorded in Scripture. The glory of her family would be sustained through the champion, that Samson, who would be without rival in all of Israel. This same man single-handedly broke the back of the Philistines that were always oppressing him. By himself did this. And because he broke the back of them and their power and their might, Samuel could come on the scene and he could anoint a little shepherd boy, David, who would later become the king of Israel. The entire nation. This same man, David, is the very one that Jesus came through. For all of the bad press that we give Samson, look at what went on with his mother. A mother who believed that even in spite of his foolishness at times, you know that that woman was praying. She had seen the face of God and she knew she could go to Him. And look what her son did. That is incredible to me. Today, we're going to consider what one woman who's given one verse, like I said, and even only one sentence in that one verse in the Bible to describe what she did at one point in her life. In this narrative, she spoke no words. Yet her actions continue to speak to us 3,000 years later, and she is a gift to all of us. I guess we have to do a little bit of history really quick, guys. Centuries earlier than this, the Israelites went into Canaan and they were told to dispossess it and to get all the people and, and, and kill them all or run them all off, but get them out of the, the nation itself. They really dispossessed all of the nations that were around the outer rim of Canaan, but they left the ones that were in the middle. They gave up. They got you know, confident and they were good with where they were. So it just kind of rocked on that way for a long time. But the Gibeonites knew that they were going to die before that happened. And they came up and under a, a, a pretense, struck a deal and made a covenant with Israel. And because of that, now they're joined in covenant, Israel couldn't kill them. So when this thing was discovered, they couldn't kill them, so they had to live with them, so they, they made them hewers of wood and carriers of water. Now, I guess that's better than dying, but you'll be chopping wood all day and carrying water for all night. So they're doing that. Now Saul became a loose cannon at this time, uh, and uh, against Samuel's directive, he spared the life of a king that he was told to kill, and he kept back part of the spoils of war, only to try to annihilate the very Gibeonites that were in a protected, protective covenant. They couldn't be touched. But Saul, who's already had the kingdom ripped from him, torn from him, is trying to make up for the sin that he's committed by killing the Gibeonites. The interesting thing for me here is Saul's great-grandfather was the progenitor of the Gibeonites. 
So Saul was exterminating, annihilating, carrying out a genocide against his own family. Fifteen years after uh, Saul dies, David becomes the king of Judah. Saul's son becomes the king of Israel. The nation had its struggles. There was actually some war, some civil war, some bad things were going on. And then David became the king of Israel in the totality of it all, Judah and Israel. He would defeat the remaining inhabitants of Canaan. And gosh, guys, if you want to see a war movie, don't watch it on the TV. You read the Old Testament and you will find out how a, how a man and his men who believe in him wage war. Not only did they kill cities and nations, they would kill them, raise them to the ground, cover their cities up with dirt to where you wouldn't even know they ever existed. So, so he did everything that God told him to do and cleaned the land out, purged it of all the, the inhabitants of that, that nation. In 2 Samuel verse 12, uh, chapter 12 and verse 8, and we're going somewhere. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things than these. Samuel's telling David, I gave you the entire nation, all of Saul's wives, Everything that you could possibly want. And if you wanted more, I would have given you more. So David is God's man. Now we start the story in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So Saul was killing the Gibeonites. Now there's a famine in the land. After the first year, they thought we'll get over it. After the second year, things are getting rough, but we'll get over it. After the third year, it's like, maybe we need to ask God what's going on here. So David goes to God, and really what it gets down to is if you don't want to know what God's thinking, don't ask, because if you ask Him, He's going to tell you. Verse 2. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And, this, uh, and the sons of Israel made a covenant with them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and for Judah. Saul sought to kill them to the point of genocide, ethnic cleansing, um, killing his own family, uh, which is what really makes that so strange. Verse 3, thus David said to the Gibeonites, what should I do for you and how can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? David is looking for a way to pay himself out of this situation. David knows this is bad. What am I going to do about it? So he goes and he asks the guys, hey, I tell you what I'll do. I'll pay you money and we're just going to forgive and forget this whole thing, guys. Let me, let me just dump a truckload of money in your, in, on, on your front doorstep and we'll just call it even. What do you, what do you think about that, guys? The word atonement here means cover-up. Let's cover this thing up before it gets any worse and people find out what's really going on here. It's like drawing a veil over it and concealing it and hiding it. Then the Gibeonites said to him, verse 4, We have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, David said, I will do for you whatever you say. Now this is where it gets tough. They say, we don't want your money. And it's not our place to put anybody to death. David says, well, tell me what you want. They say, we want seven of Saul's sons to put to death. 
They wanted to humiliate the house of Saul for trying to exterminate them is what they're doing. Let seven men from his, his sons be given to us and we will hang them from the Lord at Gibeah of Saul. That's Saul's front yard, by the way. We will hang them before the Lord in front of Saul's house where he was born, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. Verse 7, And the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord which was between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. David wasn't about to break another covenant with Mephibosheth. Now, you've heard Pastor talk about him recently. He's not about to break another covenant to make another covenant right because then you got the same thing over again in a different way. So he spared his life. Verse 8, So the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, Armoni and Mephibosheth, that's another one, whom she had borne to Saul, and the five sons of Merab and the daughter of Saul, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Holothite. Wow. Should have paid more attention in class in school, I suppose. Wow, that's tough. As we understand it, these women, the wives were his, and it's alluded to that the concubines were David's as well. To take care of them. So it's his responsible to take care of these women and their children, and now he has to offer up seven of them to die for something that they weren't even connected to except through their father. Verse 9. Then he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord so that the seven of them fell together and they were put to death in the first days of harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. These sons were cruelly tortured and hanged before the Lord in, in front of Saul's house where he was born. Understand, this was not the judgment of God. This was retribution of man. Israel broke a covenant with other people who were not of God. God brought the famine. He didn't kill anybody. He brought the famine. He said, you go make it right with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are the one that said, you broke the covenant. You've got to make it right. And this is the way that, that nations and men did it at this time. Not God. Now this is where it gets good. And I, I, I grant you guys, everybody's thinking this is the strangest Mother's Day talk I have ever heard in my life. Pastor, what are you thinking letting this guy up there? That's the history. I've checked the box. Now let's preach. I'm ready for this. I want to talk about this woman. Rizpah, verse 10. Let's read this verse. The daughter took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky, and she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. She sat in sackcloth to make repentance for an entire nation. One woman stayed before God for six months, didn't go in her house. She stayed outside at night in the dark with the wild animals. There were lions in that, that area. There was every animal you could conceive of, and she stayed out there and defended her sons. Why would she do that? They were dead. She did that because the nation was in a fix and that's why her sons are where they were and she would not allow her sons to die for absolutely no reason at all. You tell me there's a mother in this room that wouldn't do the same thing if she knew that our nation would be, would be changed and turned around and made to go in the right direction because her sons had died. And this story is going somewhere. We're just starting to get to, to talking about why she's doing what she's doing. 
A mother's love would, would not allow her to abandon them. Not until God sent the rain, which would come in October, and she would not give up until David gave her sons a proper burial. For six months, she stood outside in the weather, braving the birds and the animals in a stare-down with King David without ever saying a word, saying, I will have justice for my sons. How many of you women, you mothers, would do any differently? I know that you would. I know you. She risked her life in the dark to keep wild animals from her sons. She couldn't prevent their death, but she would be there for them until they could be tended to properly and buried with honor. Verse 11, And when it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done, what did she do? What did this woman do that gave her a verse in the Bible? This seemingly obscure woman, she was a concubine. She wasn't even a wife. But she stood up for her children. She stood in the gap for her nation during a time of famine and sin. She led the way for national repentance to God. She stood in the gap. A person who was a slave, a person who was a concubine, it doesn't matter what your social status is, women. Women have come too far to be weak. Women have always been strong. I've told all my daughters, I've told my wife, women have come too far to be weak. Don't roll over. And I'll just say it, don't roll over to some dumb man that's telling you you're not any uh, more than what he thinks you are. You're the righteousness of God. You're in a spiritual standing before Him that commands His attention when you speak. This woman, a slave, a concubine. There's equality in the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8. It's why when I give now to help somebody in need, they may be the same person that gives to me later on in life if I have need, whether it's financial or anything else. Everything in God's kingdom is about equality, even with the giving, even with our gender, whether we're married or not, whether we have kids or not. We're all on the same standing. This woman garnered the attention of God Himself, and He sent the rain. He moved on His servant David, who was the king, who met her where she was. For six months, she stared him down until he properly buried not only her sons, but until he properly buried Saul and Jonathan who were hanging in the street somewhere in another city. He went and retrieved their bones. He got her son's bones and he gave them the proper burial. That's what she wanted. To leave her sons exposed and to do nothing about it would have been a national disgrace. And this one woman stood in the gap for her, her country. They deserved better. She deserved better. And without saying a word, she stood up to a king. There's a verse. I forget where it is. It's always a great time to forget where the verse is when you're the guy that's doing the preaching. But it talks about how, 
if the sound guy gets it up for me, I know it's in my nose. How a woman can win her husband over to Christ without saying a word because he sees who she is. The goodness of God that's in her life. Now, women, I'm not saying don't speak. Now, I've never said it. I don't even think it. So don't even go there in your mind if you thought that. Did I say enough? To <laughs> don't throw anything. A woman has the power to change a nation's direction without saying a word. A mother that is driven by the love that she has for her deceased children who are hanging in ignominy in front of her very eyes for six months and the rest of the nation, but one woman would not be denied. My question to you this morning, mothers, are you going to be that woman who will not be denied when it comes to whatever that circumstance is in your life that's not fair. That's not right. That you want justice in something, will you stand in faith to get that very thing that you want? If it's in Scripture, and if you know God is behind it, you can ask in, in faith, in Jesus' name, and we have it, and we have it before we ever see it. She stood six months and watched her children hang there. In the Latin, it says that they were crucified. So not only did they die a torturous death, she watched them die, then she had to stare them down for six months. The greatest love story ever told, how a woman will continue to love her children even when they're gone, just like they're there. You can't take that from a woman. These are the things that, that I see, ladies. It's probably so much more in your, your minds and your hearts. I, I'm not a mother, obviously. I, I certainly have more children. So I know that there's a, a, a knowing and a doing there that only you can understand. But from what I see, I see the strength of a woman who all things are possible when she stands in that gap, that righteous place before God. So considering her life, I have three thoughts and a New Testament comparison. And you guys can count these three thoughts. They all start with S, so uh, alliteration. That'll help you out a little bit. Then I have a New Testament example, and then we're going to close, okay? My three points are mothers stand. Considering the life of Rizpah, mothers stand. Standing is work. It requires more effort than working and putting your hand to the plow. It takes a determination to plant your feet, to sit in the sackcloth for the thing that you know is yours. And if you will do that, you will have that very thing. It requires a dogged determination when the way seems impossible, and seeing your sons dead is, is fairly well impossible. But she wasn't believing for them to come to life. She was believing for her nation to turn around and for her sons to have the burial that they deserved, and they got it. Have you ever thought about what she faced for, for six months? The elements alone would have been too much to bear. Try sitting on the patio of your home, sipping a glass of sweet iced tea in the heart of Canaan itself here in Alabama. It's 100 degrees. The thermostat has maxed out the, the thermometer. There's no more mercury in the bottom. It's all went straight up. How many of us would sit at the patio an hour before we got up went and got back in front of the air conditioning? 
Six months she braved the elements. Six months she stood and she braved every animal that would come her way. Every bird she beat away. Every lion, tiger, bear, oh my. Every, every one of them that came, she was divinely empowered by God Himself to defend her sons. And I know you would do the same thing. Because if they're going to go, I'm sure most every one of you mothers would be right out there with your kids the same way, saying if they're going to go, I'm going to. I'm going to stand right here with them because they were not done right. Mothers stand. She stood for six months. My brother went to Operation Desert Shield back in 1990. He was on a ship. He was in a minefield in the Persian Gulf. And as much as I know that bothered my mom, it's never easy. I know it had to bother her twice as much when her oldest son was given orders and had to go to Saudi Arabia to be in the sand, to do what I was told to do, to obey the orders that were presented to me. I was charged with them, didn't have a choice, so I went, and like every other service member that's in this house, it's just a thing we do. It's just work in a different place. It doesn't make us a hero or anything. I just went to work there instead of going to work in Montgomery. That's all it was. I've never heard or seen my dad cry, but I hear he cried that day. That's why he didn't see me off. He went on back home, and I heard that he actually cried. So that for me, in that generation, that's crazy. But my mom stood for all those months while David was there and I was there. And I can tell you this, when mail call came, I knew I had a letter from my mom. My mom was always there for me and I knew it. And you know what? You find out how much people like you and don't like you when you go to the desert, when you go to the, the, to the Persian Gulf, or when you go overseas, or when you move across town, for Pete's sake, because they stop talking to you. Nowadays you have phones, it's a little easier to text. But try writing a letter. I mean, that's what Fred and Barney used to do, right? She would write me letters, and I knew. And I've got every single letter that my mother's ever written me put in a box. It's a treasure that I, I, I can't get rid of. But she, she stood the test. She stood there. Now when I came home, if there was any semblance of color in her hair when we left, it was... Long gone, and now it has this beautiful hue that it has now that nowadays young women are dying their hair that color. Mom, you started it. <laughs> that pretty color. So now women, now young ladies even want it. Uh, that, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, <laughs> now you're in style. It all came back around like some of my ties are doing right now. The, the thing about, <laughs> yeah, I've joined the club. My ties are coming back around. You know, my mama took me to the bus that took me ultimately to the desert. And when I came back on that bus, she was the first person I saw. The only one that came to get me. She stood. It's what mothers do. They don't have to think it. They just have to think, how am I going to do it? So they stand. Mama was there. Mama was always there. Thank you, Mama. But standing does not always require speaking. Ha, ah, here it is. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. 
Nowhere does this ever say, women, you need to be seen and not heard and don't speak. The Bible doesn't say that, illustrate that, or make that known in any way in this Bible. It's just not what you do. Women are stronger than that. A woman possesses so much strength, especially a mother possesses so much strength that she doesn't even have to speak. And every man in this house knows what I'm talking about sometimes. Because you know what she's thinking. And we can call it honeydew list. We can say all of the funny things to all the other men. Well, you guys do that. I would never do that. But we go and do it because we know that that woman outworks us any day of the week. Hands down, without an effort, she can outwork us any day of the week, and we know that. So character and conduct will win the day even without a word being said. Mothers are steady, second. Mothers stand. Mothers are steady. Not only did Rizpah stand, she was steady the entire time she was standing there. Steady. She didn't move. She didn't run off. I suppose a person could stand for a time, but then walk away from the fight. But that's not Rizpah. She didn't do that. She stood, but she stayed steady the entire time that she was standing. As faithful as the rising of the sun and the setting of the same, she remained steady day in and day out. Her character and integrity were on display for the entire world to see, and certainly the entire nation. She possessed a love that was greater than the pain that she felt, an unwavering love and devotion that could not be broken, and that devotion could not be broken even by the death of those who were the most important to her. Her devotion was driven by more than, than an emotive force, but by an intense desire to honor her slain sons while seeking God's forgiveness for her nation. Her sons were part of the salvation process for their country. Her sons would die for no reason at all. No, not, not for no reason. If they were going to die, it would be for a good reason. And she would make sure that it would happen. So not only do mothers stand, and not only are they steady, but they see the, the possibilities. They're, they're visionaries. They see the end from the beginning. They recognize the strong suits of their, their children and help them arrive to where they, they need to go. Some people would call this being a facilitator. I call it being godly, and it's a beautiful thing. Mothers do what they do with an expected outcome. Their love may be free to the recipient, but it exacts a price from her that she's willing to pay. I can only imagine Rizpah's thoughts, but I'm, I'm sure she felt like she had to take care of them this final way they they needed this in her mind's eye. They deserved it. And she would not be denied in front of the king who decreed it. And certainly not in front of these slave people who perpetrated it against them. What she did was not only right, but it had to be done. It, it needed to be done. And although she would not see them again in this life, I know she had to be looking to the life to come. And this was a secret instinct of faith in the hope of the resurrection. Now, Scripture tells us, we have a blessed hope. Because of what Christ has done in our lives. Because of what He's done in other people's lives. And no one knows what's in the, the mind of man or the heart of man except the man itself, himself, it says in 1 Corinthians 1. So we don't know when someone goes to be with the Father whether they're there or not. But I will say this, as long as we preach the gospel, as, as long as we live the gospel in front of others so that others can see His glory, 
through what we're doing. The life of faith, as long as they see that glory, His glory, not ours, there's always the hope. Scripture calls it a blessed hope that we have, that one day we will see our mothers again. One day we will see our children again. I've got one dancing around the throne too. One day we'll see our relatives and our friends that have died during this disease, that have died from natural causes. All those that have gone on before us, one day we have a hope of seeing those very people again. And God's Word calls it a blessed hope because it gives us the strength to carry on. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of all of us. Now we have the strength. Now we have the hope. And we can walk in fullness of life. In fullness of life. Last example. In the life of Mary, 1,000 years after this happened with Rizpah, another woman saw her pride and joy crucified before her very eyes. Her child was innocent. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit ever found in his mouth. But he died to atone for our sins. The curse of a covenant that was broken was placed on top of him, just like it was on Rizpah's sons, and he was put to death as well. But now we have peace with God if we choose to walk in that peace. But we must accept him on his terms. Mary did not watch him die only to give us a pass on living a godly life. There's something that is required of us. Her son was taken from her. He came back on his own strength, sure enough. But that woman watched her child die for you and for me and for everyone. And the question is, is what are we going to do with what that mother gave us as a gift? If it were left up to her, and it's not. I don't expect she'd give us any mercy at all if it was hers to give. If we didn't live a godly life before the Father. To say, Mary, your son's death is not enough. I think I would rather do it this way. There is a responsibility that each one of us has to look to those who have given on behalf of us. Rizpah, for the life of her nation, Jesus came from that. Mary gave her son. He died for our sins. As unbelievers, we can be brought into the kingdom because of what He did. And as believers, when we mess up and we do the unthinkable and we sin, and we all do, it says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He puts us right back in that place to where it's, it's as though we never even sinned. I wonder what Mary was thinking. An angel tells her that she'd give birth to the Messiah. A prophet tells her a sword will pierce her own soul. Now her son is dying on a Roman cross, and as a mother, she can't help him. Much to her distress and her confusion, Jesus gave himself willingly. He wasn't murdered. He laid his life down and died. And watching her son die, she heard him say, It is finished, and her heart broke. Mary didn't even have a tomb to provide a place for her son to be buried. 
But God provided one because the judgment of man would allow a person to stay on the cross overnight and into the next day. God's Word says that when a person is judged and put to death, they're to be taken down before sundown. Jesus couldn't stay on the cross beyond that point because otherwise it would have been seen as man got the victory and not God. So we see in the life of Rizpah a, a precursor to what happened on the cross with, with Jesus. I can't begin to understand what it's like for a mother to, to lose a child. The price that Rizpah, that Mary, that so many others have paid is more than, the, more than a mind can fathom. Not that we would even want to. But there's a benefit that came from both. The single benefit that is connected between both mothers, Rizpah, and a thousand years later with Mary, is one word. The Greek is metanoia. But in English, we know that word is repentance. For those of you that are listening, that may be a seeker. You, you may be here because it's Mother's Day. You're watching this with your mother at home just because you know it makes her feel good. And you want to be a good person, so you do that. Even for those of us who are believers in Christ and we're saved and we know we have the hope, the blessed hope, and we're going to go with and be with Him in glory one day, repentance is just as important for us as well. Because Rizpah led her country in that repentance, sitting on sackcloth, it says in verse 14 that God was moved by that. And the rain came. God is the same across the Testaments. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God is still a loving and compassionate God. And, and that's what Jonah's big beef with God was, is I knew that you were loving and compassionate, and you were going to forgive them because if I preached the Word, they would repent and they would be saved, and they wouldn't be judged and destroyed. And Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. He's loving and compassionate. He says, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Acts 6, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. It says in 1 Peter that we were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the very blood of Christ. The Bible tells us that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, it says that you will be saved not from anything that you've done, not from anything that you will do, but simply because the price has been paid and some mother lost her child to make it available, Mary, so that you could receive this gift. But we have to admit it, folks. If these women could speak to us today, I wonder what they would say. Rizpah wouldn't let her son's death be for nothing. Mary wouldn't let her son's be, death be done for nothing. Don't let it be for nothing. Except Jesus. I can imagine them saying, maybe my temporary loss is, is for your gain. 
When nation had the rain, all things became normal. Jesus died, and now we have hope. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners and that we all need Him. We need who Jesus is. Because without Him, there is no hope. Certainly not a blessed hope. Mothers, today is your day and we, we honor all of you. Even when you're quiet, you speak to me. There's been so many times when some of you have just been who you are and I've just thought, that's a wonderful thing. Not because I'm preaching it on Mother's Day, but because I draw on who you are, men and women. Younger and older. And women know that your place in the body of Christ is equal with everybody else. That you're strong. That there's a strength that you have that men could only attain to having. Because without a word, a nation was changed thousands of years ago. 3,000 years ago. One woman, one verse, one sentence, one point in her life gave everything that she had. And now the world is forever changed. Mothers, will you continue to be those people that will change this world with every child that you have, with every person in this body of Christ that needs who you are? I know that you will. And I'm, I'm proud to be numbered amongst you. Amen? Father, we thank you for the reality of your word, for blessing us with the mothers who are in this house today and those that are at home, those that are all around us that are watching uh, on Facebook. Father, we thank You for the blessing that You've blessed us with. We will go and be better people because of the power of Your Holy Spirit that resides in Him and us and how You minister to us through them. And I stand to declare that my family is blessed in all that they put their hands to and they prosper, Father, because You love them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.